Will you pray with me? Father, as our brother Leon Piercefield had to go into the hospital this morning for fluid in his lungs, we ask for his healing. Father, we thank you for your kindness that he is in stable condition and he is with people who love him very much. We ask for his wife and for our brother Matt uh, to be able to speak words of comfort that point him to rock-solid truths. Pray that he would trust you. Father, also as we open our membership directories today and pray for members on page 8, I ask that your spirit would control and empower the tongue of each member on this page. Father, I pray for Chris Chandler and for Jennifer Chandler, for Rachel Chandler, Kathy Chang, Julian Chapman, Bonnie Chapman, Nehemiah Charles, Stan Chen, Chris Christmas, Christina Christmas, and for our supported workers who serve you in Ukraine, Vlad, and Phoebe. Father, I ask for these members that you would keep their tongues from stumbling. Give them a Proverbs 10, 11 mouth, and may their mouth be a fountain of life. Keep them from a Proverbs 12, 18 tongue. Because rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So may Chris Chandler's tongue bring healing at work this week. May Jennifer Chandler's tongue bring healing in our church. May Rachel Chandler's tongue bring healing at Lake Worth Christian School tomorrow. May the tongues of all these members bring healing wherever you place them this week. Also, as you tell us to pray for those in authority over us, I pray for our president and that his tongue would bring healing. Father, surround the president of the United States, Joe Biden, with counselors who will keep him from using his words like sword thrust. And as we move into an election year, I ask in particular that you would keep the presidential candidates from sinful, inflammatory speech. They need wisdom to speak well. Would you give it to them? Also, as citizens of a diverse kingdom of heaven, made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, we also look beyond the borders of our country, and we pray for churches in Jamaica. Father, would you unleash their tongues, and may they boldly share the gospel today. Would you silence the tongues of those who are preaching a false gospel and deceiving so many people? Father, give grace to our Jamaican brothers and sisters this morning, and may no corrupting talk come out of their mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Father, I pray the same thing for myself today. Father, I ask that my words would only build up and that you would use my mouth to bring healing from your word. 
We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, as I prepped for today's passage on the tongue, I came across an interesting question from Dr. Maureen Stone, who's a professor at the University of Maryland. She asked the question, when's the last time your tongue was tired? Kind of a funny, fascinating question. For how much I love to talk, you would probably think that my tongue got tired a lot. (laughs) But it doesn't. (laughs) I'm sure some of you wish that it probably did, but I've never had a sore tongue. (laughs) And you probably haven't had one either. Dr. Stone points out that there's a reason for this. Our tongues are actually designed to not get tired. With eight different muscles working with unparalleled efficiency, our tongues are just tireless machines, which is why we talk so much. It's estimated that we talk somewhere between 7,000 and 20,000 words a day. Some more on the 7,000 side, and some of you more on the 20,000 side. You know who you are. Either way, we use our tongues a lot. And for how much we use our tongues, you would think that we would think a lot about them. But when's the last time you've prayed for God to control your tongue? Have you ever considered that your tongue could split our church? When was the last time that you've asked the Lord to give your tongue grace? Have you ever considered before that controlling our tongues is a prerequisite for us to have a thriving church? And if we don't control our tongues, well, our church will just be a hot mess. No matter how good the preaching is, no matter how good the music is, no matter how good the programs and all the classes are, we won't go as far as we want to if our tongues are not controlled as a church. So how much do you think about the perils and power of your tongue? This is what James wants us to think about in today's passage. And he's going to warn us to not minimize the perils and power of your tongue. I think that's the main idea of our passage this morning in James 3, 1 through 5. Don't minimize the perils and power of your tongue. So let's just work through this main idea and think through this warning together. First, don't minimize the perils of your tongue. Verse 1, chapter 3. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. Why will teachers be judged with greater strictness? Verse 2 tells us, For we all stumble in many ways. To be honest with you, I've always looked at verse 1 disconnected from verse 2 and understood James to be saying that teachers are just held to a higher standard 
than the rest of the church. But after studying the passage this week, I don't think that's right. I actually think what James is saying is that since we all stumble in our speech, and teachers inherently speak more than others, teaching is risky business. There are just more words for Jesus to judge. So while the Bible does teach elsewhere that teachers are held to a higher or a greater standard, here in this passage, I think greater doesn't refer to a different kind of judgment. I think greater refers to quantity of judgment, not quality of judgment. Dan Doriani puts it this way. He says, teachers are especially vulnerable to failures of speech because their role demands that they speak so much. More words mean more errors. As we grow accustomed to public speaking, we can become careless. When asked to offer an opinion, we comply, even if we have scant qualifications and little factual basis. I was totally guilty of this the other day. I was meeting up with our brother, Darren Bowman, and before we sat down at Starbucks, we started talking with a, another guy who's usually there at the same time that we're there. And Michael, our new Starbucks friend, asked me what line of work I was in. So I told him, and Michael did what most non-churchgoers do. He felt very uncomfortable. <laughs> and he said something like, oh wow, <laughs> that's great. I so wish in that moment of discomfort for him, I would have steered the conversation out of love for this man. But I'll be honest with you, I didn't do that. I felt self-conscious. And I pointed the attention back over to Darren. And like an idiot, I carelessly said to Michael, yeah, I get to meet up with Darren here. He's one of the studs in our church. Besides just sounding silly, what's the harm in saying that? I mean, Darren is a stud. True statement. Well, the harm in saying that is that I gave Michael the impression that the church is made up of two different categories. The impressive and the unimpressive. And that pastors like to spend their time with the impressive church members. And that the goal of being a Christian is just to become more and more impressive. That's what my careless words communicated. Which is not the gospel. And which is not my goal as a pastor. And which should never be the goal of this church. But that's what my careless words communicated to Michael. And what's sobering for me as a teacher is that while I can grow in controlling my tongue, I will stumble in many ways. Verse 8 of chapter 3 says that no human being can fully tame the tongue. Verse 2, at some level, we will all stumble in our speech. 
And more stumbling equals more judgment. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36, that on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. You, me, all of us will give an account for every word we speak. Now, as we talked about a few weeks ago, we have no reason to fear judgment if we are trusting in Christ for salvation. Judgment day won't feel like going to the dentist and feeling bad for all of the spiritual stains and for how little we've spiritually flossed. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? Now, Jesus has paid the penalty for every careless word you've spoken. It's done. It's finished. No more condemnation. But at the same time, we will not exalt in our careless words either. Yes, we will exalt in the mercy of Christ, but we will not exalt in the careless words that we speak. I won't rejoice in my careless words to Michael at Starbucks last week. And you won't delight in the sarcastic comment you made about a church member here. Or the belittling comment you made about the church down the road. You won't rejoice in those things. This future reality should make us think twice before speaking, shouldn't it? Particularly for those who are standing here at this pulpit. But also for you as well. For you who teach Sunday school or who are Awana leaders or you're a Christian discipling someone. You should think twice before speaking, before teaching. And on a related note, you and I should be very, very careful for who we allow to teach at this church. This is not explicitly brought out in James 3, but I think it's a necessary implication. It's actually your responsibility as a member of this church to guard the teaching ministry at this church. When the Galatian churches were allowing false teachers to to teach in their pulpits, does the Apostle Paul just write to the elders, the elders of the Galatian churches, saying, hey, you guys need to fix this? No, he doesn't do that, does he? No, he writes to the whole church. Paul says that while you should not uh, admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses, he also says this in 1 Timothy 5.20. He says, As for those elders who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Paul is not unclear. While teachers have the responsibility to control their tongues, you also have the responsibility for calling out elders who have uncontrolled tongues. So I'll just be straight up with you right now. If I preach crystal clear doctrine, but I exhibit unrepentant gossip, you should fire me. You should find a new teaching pastor if Jeff defends sound doctrine but continually posts divisive comments on Facebook. 
Because no matter who it is or what they've done, uncontrolled tongues should not keep teaching at this church. Now, (laughs) applying this principle requires discernment. Discerning what's unrepentant gossip and spotting a false gospel. Those are two different things. It's a lot harder to discern what's unrepentant gossip. So I would encourage you to submit to the council of the elders here at the church. But do not let these caveats dilute the point. Talented teachers with uncontrolled tongues should stop preaching at this church. James is begging you, do not minimize the perils of your tongue. And do not minimize the power of your tongue. Point number two, don't minimize the power of your tongue. Picking back up in verse two of chapter three, James says, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. It put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. We'll stop there. Some say the tongue is the most powerful muscle in the body, which I wish was true because it would make for an even better sermon illustration. It's not, actually. There are other muscles like your quads that are gram for gram more powerful than the tongue. But the tongue is really, really powerful. It's actually so powerful that James says that if you can control your tongue, that's really good evidence that you can control every other part of your body. Do you see that in verse 2? James argues from the greater to the lesser and essentially says that controlling your tongue is so hard to do that it's a sign you can control the rest of your body. It's like he says, if you can do calculus... It's a pretty good indicator that you can do simple algebra. If you can walk across a tightrope of a thousand feet, which I don't know how people do or why they do it, but if they can do that, well, then they could walk across the parking bumpers out in the parking lot, right? James is arguing from the greater to the lesser. Or to put it another way, the less we stumble in what we say, well, that's really good evidence that we're not stumbling in other parts of our lives. We're becoming holistic disciples of Jesus, which is what James has been wanting for us in his letter, right? We've seen since the beginning of chapter one that James has been calling for us to present every part of our bodies, all of who we are, before the Lord. Everything is before him. There's nothing that's off limits, nothing that can't be changed. Everything's on the table, our suffering, our money, our tongues, everything, our whole lives. This is why the word whole comes up twice in our passage. You may have noticed that in verses 2 and 3. 
It's why James uses the word perfect in verse 2. Just like we saw in chapter 1, verse 4, perfect does not mean that James wants us to just be flawless or to get a 100 on our life test. No, I think what James is calling us to is to make every aspect of our lives look more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's the goal. Holistic discipleship to Jesus. And James is really clear what the goal is. He's made the goal of his letter super clear. And then in verse 2, he makes this provocative statement. He says, if you don't stumble in what you say, well, you've reached the goal. You've reached the goal of this letter. It's a sign that you are perfectly conforming to the image of Jesus. It's the sign that every aspect of your life looks like Jesus as well. The tongue is that difficult to control. It's that powerful. Do you see the tongue this way? Do you think about your tongue that way? James assumes that you don't, (laughs) which is why he gives us two illustrations in verses 3 and 4. These illustrations humble me as a teacher because I know nothing about horses or lordships. (laughs) But by God's grace, I think he's made it very clear. And James is communicating that, that smaller items like bits and rudders can control much larger items like horses and lordships. Is that right? All you horse people and nautical people out there, did I get that right? These are really incredible illustrations when you think about it. Just a a slight tug and an 1,800-pound Clydesdale goes left instead of right. A slight turn of a rudder and your cruise ship doesn't go to Cape Town, South Africa. No, it goes to Vik, Iceland. <laughs> You're spending vacation in Iceland now. They're small, but don't minimize the power of a bit, the power of a rudder. And James is telling us this morning, don't minimize the power of your tongue. A small member, but your tongue can direct the future direction of your life and the future direction of our church. More than our budget, more than our staff, more than everything else, <laughs> James is saying that our tongues control the future direction of First Baptist. Your tongue. Think about it. Your tongue directs the future direction of this church. Do you believe that? James says your tongue boasts of great things. Commentators wrestle what this phrase exactly means. There's debate about what James is precisely talking about, but I think since he talks about boasting in a negative light elsewhere, 
in the letter. He talks about it in a bad light elsewhere. I think that's a pretty good indicator that he's not bringing up boasting in a positive sense here. No, it's a, it's a warning. And if we understand it that way as a warning, I think it also prepares us for the second half of verse 5, which we'll pick up again next month. The warning that comes in part B of verse 5. Well, regardless, however we understand this phrase, boasts of great things, I think it is clear, I think it's safe to say that your tongue has the possibility, has the power to afflict a lot of damage on our church. You will stumble, you will stumble in many ways, And so I think it is right for us to be sobered by this point. You will stumble in many ways, so how can you control what your tongue does to our church? What should you do? As we come to the end of this passage, I want to put that question out for you. What should you do to control your tongue? Should you just try harder to be quiet? Because you could try to do that, but let's just be honest, that doesn't usually work, does it? I haven't found much success with that. You could try this strategy, but that strategy does not normally work. Trying to control your tongue through just sheer determination is like putting a piece of thread in the mouth of a horse, (laughs) trying to tug on it. That's not going to work, right? Because when you're misunderstood in an argument, that thread is going to snap and your tongue is going to do what it wants. The reality is is that your tongue, my tongue, is just stronger than our determination. And besides, I don't think that's the kind of control that James is talking about. I don't think that's what James is envisioning for for us to control our tongues. James doesn't just want us to shut it and zip it. Why do I think that? Well, verse 1, right? He has a value for teachers. And teaching requires a lot of words. When you think about the rest of the Bible, all of the the commands to speak, well, to be godly is inherently to be talkative. You have to speak to obey what God's command have for us. So God must want us to talk. In fact, I think the point should be made that your quietness may not actually be controlled by love and wisdom, but by selfishness and fear. I think you know what I'm talking about, right? Not speaking up for the oppressed because you're worried about your own reputation not sharing the gospel because you're controlled by fear. Not giving an encouraging word because you're motivated by self-interest and pride. There's a scenario where you speak very little and your tongue is actively rebelling. Just think about a teenager who gives her mom the silent treatment. You know what it looks like to be quiet 
to not use your tongue and to be using your tongue. <laughs> so what should we do? What should we do when we desire to speak? And our desire to speak is like a boiling pot of water. And it's about to blow the lid off of our mouth. And what should we do when we want to silently protest biblical commands to speak? What should we do? Well, I think James gives us a clue in our passage this morning. He gives us a clue in verse 4. Look at the ship illustration again. The rudder directs the rest of the ship. But what does James say about who controls the rudder? What controls the rudder? The will of the pilot. For as strong as the tongue is, as powerful as the tongue is, there is a superior power. The will of the pilot. The will of your heart. And I think what James does is he gives us a little clue in how to be able to fight using our tongues for sinful reasons. And he shows, that, shows us if you don't want to minimize the perils and power of your tongue, you need to maximize the primacy of your heart. Point number three, briefly, maximize the primacy of your heart. Jesus makes this exact point in Matthew 12, 34, when he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. You can't help it. <laughs> Whether you speak or not, if your heart is set at 500 degrees of boiling anger, your tongue will steam. <laughs> steam will eventually come off your tongue. Your boiling heart demands it. Which means, if you have a tongue problem, you also have a heart problem. And you need to fix the heart first. You need to fix your heart before you fix your tongue. Just think about it. If you're on a cruise ship and the rudder takes you to Vik, Iceland, instead of Cape Town, South Africa, well, you need to do more than just fix the direction of the rudder. What do you need to do? You need to get a new pilot, right? <laughs> Actually, you probably should have done that first. That would have been the first move. Hey, whoever decided to move the rudder all the way to Iceland instead of South Africa, you're fired. <laughs> you need to get out of the seat. We need a new pilot. You need to fix the pilot first, the rudder second. Well, it's the same for our speech. Heart first, the will of the heart first, tongue second. So let's go back to my coffee at Starbucks with Darren. How do I repent of careless words that I shared with Michael? Well, I could just through sheer determination just convince myself I'm going to speak better next time. But again, that's probably not going to work, and that's not what James wants us to do. What should I do? I need to address my heart first. I need to think about my self-conscious desire to protect myself. <laughs> and I need to think about how Jesus approves of me. And while 
Michael, the non-churchgoer, may feel uncomfortable with my occupation. Jesus feels very comfortable with who I am. I need to think about Jesus' approval of me. And as that truth works over and over again in my heart, what the Bible teaches, and what I think James is pointing out when he shows us this passage about the will of the pilot, is that eventually that will direct my tongue. And it will direct my tongue to a others-focused, self-forgetful love. That's how you control your tongue. Identify sins of your heart. Think about how Jesus satisfies those desires. And then it'll be the love of Christ in the Pilate's seat. Not your determination. Or your fear. Or your self-preservation. One way to, to prep for this kind of Heart work is I think just thinking about all the ways that Jesus has used his tongue out of love for us. Actually, I think that would be just a great conversation over lunch today or later this week. Talk about with your family and with members of this church, how has Jesus perfectly controlled his tongue out of love for us? There's just so many ways, right? Just think about John 4. How Jesus perfectly controlled his tongue and, and spoke up and spoke to the adulterous woman at the well. And out of love, he confronted and called the Pharisees, the judgmental Pharisees, to repentance. And out of love, he remained silent before Pilate. And out of love, he didn't ask his father to send angels to take him off of the cross. No, he asked his father to forgive his executioners. And out of love, he speaks for us before the father. Jesus has never used his tongue to gossip about you, but he loves to talk about you to his father, bringing up your name regularly before his father, telling his father to look at his righteousness and not your unrighteousness. Think about how, out of love, Jesus confronts the accusations that Satan regularly brings to him about your sin. And he confronts them by telling the devil to shut up and listen to the power of his blood. Think about the love of Jesus and how he controls his tongue to one day call you home to himself. Death is a sad thing, but it is also a sweet call from Jesus to say, it's time. I want you home. I want to see you face to face. And out of love, he will say that for everyone that is his. To each one of you, he will look you in the eye and use his tongue to speak your name. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? A tongue of God perfectly controlled by perfect love for you speaking your name. And I'll tell you what happens. If you will meditate on how Jesus uses his tongue that way, if you just soak in that long enough, it will change your heart. It will change the will of your heart. 
Do you meditate on how the loving heart of Jesus has perfectly controlled his tongue for you? It will change your heart and it will change your tongue. Beholding the glory of how the Lord has used his tongue, 2 Corinthians 3.18, your heart will be transformed into the same glory, from one, from one image of glory to another, from one degree to another. And the love of Christ will control your tongue. If you keep doing that, letting the love of Christ control your tongue, then who knows? Maybe if you desire this and the church agrees, well, maybe some of you should then become teachers. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would point our gaze to the heart of Christ for us who perfectly controls his tongue out of love. And Father, I ask that that would satisfy the desires of our heart, that it would change our wills, and that by changing our wills, it would change our tongues. And we wouldn't minimize the perils and power of our tongues but we would use them to love you and to love others. We ask for this in your son's name.